Well, we're back to another episode of the Pig Wrestling Podcast. The Pig Wrestling Podcast is powered by our wonderful sponsor, Sync Cloud, and it's available in the cloud. Where's it available, Paul? <laughs> the cloud I'm learning, iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, to name but a few, and on our Pig Wrestling Podcast blog. The Pig Wrestling Podcast is based on a book by Pete Lindsay and Mark Bowden. It's a simple way to solve any problem and create change you need. Another week, another episode of the Pig Wrestling Podcast, and today we've got Jerome Whittingham. Uh, nice to meet you, Jerome. Hello there. It's good to be on the podcast. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, thanks for turning up. Um, and welcome, Joe, again. The rose between Hi. two And welcome, Leon. Good to be here. Good to be here. Um, Jerome, um, just before we get started, just for the listeners, can you give us a, a 30 second or less bio about yourself, please? Yeah, sure. Well, I'm probably best known uh, as a photographer. So I've been working in Hull since 1994, 25 years, is that? 20, 20, whatever, whatever it is, maths isn't my strong point. Uh, so working as a photographer, mostly in the non-profit sector. So I don't do weddings or any sort of corporate work. All of my work really is with charities, with arts groups, social enterprise, that sort of thing. So lots of photography around their campaigns, but also lots of writing, lots of event management, lots of bid writing, uh, lots of monitoring and evaluation sort of work for charities. That, that's that been floating my boat and keeping me occupied in the city, really, for 25 years or so. And there's never been more to write about in, in, in this period that we're coming through, hasn't there, Jerome? You know, back as city of culture, and then it just carries it. It's just like the gift that keeps on giving is this COVID-19, isn't it? <laughs> Well, I'm glad there's something to write about because all of my photography has disappeared. <laughs> so maybe over the last 10 years, I've put um, you know all of my eggs into one basket, really, in terms of photography and photographing the arts. Um, lots of arts activities from festivals through to single gigs. I seem to be the go-to person to do portraits of poets, that sort of thing. But all of that, of course, because these people aren't performing uh, in the way that you know, we've we've loved them to do over the last decade decade or so. All of that has disappeared for me. So thankfully, yes, uh, you know, I'm not a one trick pony. I can also write. And yeah. So, like you guys, I've been spending a lot of time on Zoom, interviewing people and writing the particles and doing the sort of work I do visually. I've done through words instead over the last six months. Yeah, good job. You can write. When I was when I was um, reading up about you, you said you like to tell stories through photographs so i suppose covid and you've stopped telling stories apart from your writing um which is still good so good job with one right yeah the photography has always been um you know a story um anyway um, i like to spend i'm not one of these photographers that just gets that sort of an hour job one afternoon to to go along and photograph something uh, I like to work with a group over quite a long period of time. That might be weeks, that might be months. For some, it's been years. So my photography uh, really does tell a story, I hope, over the period that I'm working with any particular group. So I suppose, really, I'm more of a storyteller than than just a photographer. And I, that, that has uh, been a sort of a dawn of realisation, I suppose, in the last six months. I love that. Has that been quite challenging? Because it sounds like you've had to adapt and change quite significantly, really. Um, has that been a challenge or has it been something that you've really enjoyed or is it a mix of both? Well, it's a real mixture, isn't it? Um, I love getting out and about and meeting people. And so I've not been able to meet many people face to face 
over the last few months. And that, that's true for, for all of us, I guess. Um, I've got a couple of offices in the city that I've not set foot in for six months. Uh, so instead of using a little podcast recording studio that I've got or another office at the central library where I can meet people face to face, I've had to use my home and I've had to use Zoom. So I'm speaking to you now. I've got a little recording desk set up next to me. I've got my microphone in front of me. I'm sitting in a very dark corner of my living room. Um, outside is a really busy road, so you may well hear some sirens going past in the next hour. But I've even done things, you know, adapting. I've even nailed rugs to the wall just around my computer here <laughs> to create that sort of sound dampening that you would have in a studio. So, yeah, we're all adapting, aren't we? We're finding new ways of doing things. That's actually been quite fun, a little bit exciting too at times. So, shall we? Shall we start? Shall we? Shall we start as we mean to go on? I think Joe should. It I think first get, Joe, get get. Let's get that first question rolled out. Okay then. So, Jerome, what are one to three books that have greatly changed or influenced your life? Yeah. Well, the first one I want to talk about is um, a book called Factfulness. And let's be honest, I'm not a big uh, reader of novels and fiction. Everything I read is, you know, research reports, um, academic books, journalism books, that sort of thing. But I came across uh, this chap called Hans Rosling. I think I first came across him on YouTube, uh, so I've since got the book. You, some of your listeners will almost definitely know of Factfulness, the book by Hans Rosling. And basically, Hans is, uh, or was, bless him, he's died now, um, he was a medic, yeah, and he put this research project together where he asks groups of people the same multiple choice questions. So he's put the same list of questions to lawyers, to academics, to politicians all around the globe, um, medics, community development organisation leaders, all of those sort of movers and shakers. He's asked the same 13, I think it is, questions to the multiple multiple choice questions. Now, most significantly, he put these questions to the chimpanzees at Stockholm Zoo. So multiple choice, he put, he threw bananas into the enclosure uh, labelled ABC. And the first banana that the chimpanzee picked up, that was the chimp's answer to that particular question. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. Great, great research methodology. Yeah. Now, all of those professionals that he's asked, those groups of professionals he's asked all around the globe over a period of, I think, 10 years or so, not one group scored more highly than the chimpanzees. Yeah, so the questions are about people's bias, particularly our negativity bias. So we're all, I mean, I'm sort of a journalist, and journalism is well known for being, you know, full of catastrophe and despair and... The headlines on the newspapers just make us sort of sigh and, you know, depression, yeah. But the book, Factfulness, is sort of proving that these are our biases that are making us feel this way. Because actually the world isn't as bad as we naturally believe. So on each of the questions, um, the, the, the professionals tend to go for the most pessimistic answer. Um, whereas the chimps, of course, that was just straightforward chance. So, you know, even if you just answer from, um, answer any of these 13 questions from just that viewpoint of 
chance you, you're going to score more highly than the professionals that are actually in charge of the world. So it's really worrying that there is this negativity bias, and that's probably you know dragging us all down. I, mean, I think it was interesting because obviously you know aware that you're a journalist, and it was as if he's understood my man this morning because one of my questions was around you know fear sells. We know fear sells in marketing and sales, um, but when you look at all the news, there is a lot of fear out there. But it's so interesting when you say that. Um, you know, but then I was reading this morning. I like to read that. And, yeah, and I, and I was reading about our brains. We are wired for fear, aren't we? That's what's got us. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's that. Well, it's perfectly right, isn't it? So I, I've said before that you know when we were still cave dwellers, we had to be really, really aware of things going on around us. We had to be really aware of dangers in particular. So, you know, you don't want to leave that cave and because some big saber-toothed tiger is going to jump on your back or you don't want to leave that cave because the next tribe is going to come in and, uh, you know, steal your children or whatever. So we, we've always been wired to be really, really aware of the dangers in the world. Don't leave that cave because Paul might sneak in and nick my stuff. <laughs> what, my, my antelope will killed. You're joking me. That's what you could do, can you? I would do it all. I know. I pinch in exactly. So this is uh, I get what, so. What we're saying is, we we naturally are wired to be pessimistic. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, so, yeah. Cautious. <laughs> but the world isn't actually a dangerous place. Yeah. So when you see, wouldn't have pinched it. When we see dangers being flagged up in the press, yeah, of course we've got to be aware of those dangers, aware of all the bad things that are happening in the world, all the things that are going wrong. But actually, they are just sort of pinpoints here and there. More widely, the world is actually a, you know, a progressing, developing, happier, safer place than, than the, the picture that, get, that gets painted. So have the media got a lot to answer for then? Is that what you're saying, Jerome? They've got a lot of the negativity that goes on in the world. They've got a lot to answer for. Absolutely, yes, they, they have. So there's, there's that adage within journalism that if it bleeds, it leads. Because people are naturally interested in, in the things that have gone wrong, the catastrophes, the crashes, the, all of that sort of thing. So what I did with Hull is this, that I've been, you know, that's my positive journalism, constructive journalism platform I've been running in the city. What I'm doing, hopefully, is just trying to readdress that balance so yeah we know there are things that are wrong with the city of hell there are, there are, th there are things going wrong here they're, they're flagged up all the time but actually there's a lot of really good stuff going on here too for every shop that closes there's another business that's opening another young person or another entrepreneur uh, giving it a go trying to get out there and do something is that what you're concentrating on jerome all the positive notes. Yeah, people say, is Hull is this a good news website? And I say, no, no, it's not. It's a constructive, uh, positively focused, solutions focused website. Positively um, biased. Yeah. Good news. Good news is cats getting taken down from trees and people having 60th wedding anniversaries. That, that's great news. That's good news. That's not what I'm on about. Yeah, that's great that these things are happening, but that's not where I am. I want to see, you know, 
new ventures. I want to see communities developing. I want to see people making the best of themselves. That's what the website is about, really. And I think that's that's great, and that's all what this show is about, really, isn't it? It's about supporting people and helping people to to move on. I'm really interested in this conversation. It's just a fascinating conversation because. I think more and more people feel disillusioned with the media and I think it's almost, I can only speak for myself on, on, on this situation, but I personally don't want to hear all the long drawn out conversations about COVID and why we've done this and why we've done that. Or I don't always want to hear about the bad news to feed them because actually that just switches me off and I'm switching off more and more and more both to social media platforms and to, to the news. I want to hear some of those good news stories. Now, that could be just me personally, but, I, you know, we, we talk to people all the time on the podcast. I talk to people every day, and it feels like people do want more, and um, I think we'd welcome the media in selling some of those good news stories or those where people have, have changed and gone on to be successful or whatever that might be. I, I think we're ready for that, but are the media ready to be able to kind of take that leap of faith and, and change direction? Because it just feels like they're just really entrenched in that negativity. Yeah, you're, you're not oh, alone. Sorry. Great question. We always say, I always get off your chest and his man comes, don't we? Question three. That question three. That's a question three. She was, that's, it's been bubbling up there for a while, Jerome, so... It's not personal. It's not personal. It's, it's busy. This is this big Come out. Look at the weight lifted off her yeah, shoulders she's, now. She's had a chin. He's doing positive stuff. He's doing. He he's already changing it. He's changing the culture. He's at the forefront there of, of changing it into something meaningful, something tangible, um, and something that we're interested in. And I I think there's lots of other people that are working in your industry that could take a, a leaf out of your book, I'd say. So I'm not answering the question because go for it. Go for it. Has he finished the books, guys? Because we was on it. We was on book one. Right, so was we? Wow, was that just book one? Okay, go. Question: If I'm taking up too much time, no, no. No. I mean, there was another book. Uh, I said I'm, I'm not a novel reader, uh, but back in 1984, when I did my GCSEs, one of the books was 1984. And so last year, I actually reread the book, and I was quite gobsmacked, really, at just how much that book is speaking to now, particularly around the issues of surveillance and us feeling surveilled and you know overly surveilled and oppressed by by these external forces i think that really speaks to to this moment joe who was that book by because I've, I've heard about this before yeah. the book? george orwell george yeah orwell. yeah yeah. i've not read that yet it's on my list it is on my list but just for anyone who's not listened you know not read that book um in your own sort of words try and explain what what insights did it give yeah, well, it's it's a book mostly about surveillance and how people feel oppressed by a big brother in the book, uh, that people are watching them all the time and uh, manipulating their moves and uh, constricting and constraining what they're able to do. And that really does feel to me to be speaking to the moment, uh, certainly for many people. 
But I, I wonder, really, we, we all put our lives on social media, don't we, all the time? I'm a, I'm a sucker for it, even though I've looked at this, you know, in detail over the years. We still share things all the time on social media. And social media is pro- probably, you know, well, it certainly is surveilling us. It's looking at our lives far more than the government does, really. I wish people would really understand that Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, they, they're advertising companies. They dress themselves up as being this social media through which you can keep in touch with your family and your friends. But actually, no, they're, they're stealing our data and they're using what they know about us to push adverts to us and to manipulate us in, in other ways. And so, you know, the, the big brother, really, of the 1984 novel, um, it isn't the government. It hasn't turned out to be the government. It's actually turned out to be this these social media giants that we've all readily bought into over the last 10 years. The interesting part, Jerome, because um, I'm a big fan of tech, you know, um, from, the, from the day job, you know, do IT support and cybersecurity. And I have this debate all the time, don't I? Yeah. Right, we've had this before. And like social media, 100% with you, um, it is profiling It is a marketing company. So you're, you're a million percent right. But on the flip side of that, though, you know, I always believe that we should understand that social media is a tool. And the problem is a lot of us are asleep to it actually being a tool and it, and it uses us. Um, but on the flip side, if we understand the power of it, of what it can do socially for good, it's an amazing tool um, both ways. But what, we're not taught or educated about it. Um, that is one of my big challenges is our digital skills in this country are, are very low. Um and it's how can we educate people to use them tools and understand the actual, like you just mentioned, understand it's an, uh, an advertising platform, understand it's trying to keep you in that platform as long as it is. But on the other side of it, we used to all watch TV, didn't we? Who, who remembers on a Sunday sitting around and watching Bullseye? Yeah. Oh, yeah. After Black Beauty. Who wanted, yeah. who, who wanted to win a speed block? Nobody. <laughs> I would No. Why would you want to win a speedboat? Because I'm in a town centre. a speedboat in a town centre. Is it what you could have won? I just remember living in Bradford, in a town centre, above a pub, watching that with my dad on a Sunday, all the sharing at Heinz, you know, chocolate pudding, yeah. between four of us, that we did that. Um, and we all watched it, didn't we? Yeah. Right? And there'd be loads of different shows we could talk about, Blankety Blank, Catchphrase, yeah. you, you name it, right? Did any of us have a problem with watching these TV shows? No. No, no, they were sort of family occasions, weren't they? And I was just thinking over the weekend, the last weekend and this weekend, it's hit me, is we don't watch terrestrial telly anymore, do we? Not like we used to. We We consume media from mobiles, don't we, more and more. And having these Facebook and Twitter and your Instagrams and these tools... Um, are becoming more like your TV channels. They're, they're the channels that we we watch, the channel we do, and the advertisements we're now seeing, the disruptive marketing in there, is no different to advertisements we used to see on the TV. I'll just change the bulb. We'll come back in a minute. There we go. There we go. There we go. So I just think that the way we're changing as people, I think the new sort of, like this podcast, for example, it's radio. It's a radio channel. We listen to podcasts in the car. And we love learning as humans. So I think your podcast has become the radio. 
because we're sick of listening to the same five five radio songs on repeat, aren't we? Mm-hmm. We've an advert, right? And I think it's changing the way we're viewing it, but no one's talking about this type of thing. I don't know if I've just gone mad on this, but is oh, it- we, don't like, we don't like change, though. <laughs> Do we? I'm, I'm 52 years old. Let's get that out. Get out. Get that out there. <laughs> yeah. Show my age for some of the comments I'll make. But we don't like change, do we? So uh, so over the last 10 years, I've photographed uh, theatre in cinemas. I've been to the cinema to watch live theatre. I listen to radio shows, but I do it on demand through podcasts. And sometimes I'm listening to the radio and they've taken on a podcast format that they're broadcasting. So I, I, being the old fuddy-duddy that I am, yeah, I wish I wish these sort of, you know, true, tried and tested media formats, oh, it would be nice if they just stay <laughs> to the format that we, we grew up with and we loved them. I think one of the key things for me as well that's been said, I can't, I can't remember who said it, I, I think it might have um, been you, Jerome, is... Um, when we used to sit around and watch those TV programmes, we sat and watched them as a family. So there was yeah. some interaction with our family. And I think the differences that really, for me, feel so different is that when we go on these, if these social platforms are our old TV bits, we're doing them on our own, we're doing solo. So there might be three of us sat in a room, but not one of us is really engaging because we're all watching our devices and we're watching something different or we're looking at something different. So it almost takes away that um, that family time that was that we just had together. That it was just kind of a natural thing. You'd all sit around the TV and and watch and engage in different conversations. You'd be answering questions or you know whatever it was that was on the TV. So that's one of the key bits for me that's really changed with that. Um, so now we have to book time in to be with our family and make sure that we put our devices away. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, and I do. But there's another spin on this, though, Joe. And we're go on, then. again, go on, then go for it. So I believe Joe's right. I believe Jerome's right, and we've all got we've got to get off these devices more, aren't we? We want ourselves. And these, Paul, is the mechanisms for controlling your data consumption? Yes, there is. You turn your phone off. Right. <laughs> so we can sort that. But interesting, then another side of it, because I'm a bit like Jerome in terms of yeah, we can have a bias, can't we? And because Jerome's led us today that we've got a negative bias. I'm all over this right now. So, the other week, on the old Facebook, um, we decided to do a, a Facebook Live um, Suicide Prevention Day on it. And we did a massive Facebook Live, and we had lots of different people jumping in and commenting and sharing and interacting live, and we were swapping interviewing with all different people within their own living rooms, right? And interacting with hundreds of thousands of people across that platform, and engaging with people who was isolated and alone and sharing stories, right? For me, that's just a documentary, but a real live documentary. And back to Jerome's comment around, I wish these media channels would sort themselves out. They can't because all of us are media. Everyone's got a channel. Everyone's got a mobile phone. We've all got a channel. How cool is that? I'm on it. We've all become journalists, haven't we? Really, we've all become media producers. Yeah, it's just what we do with that. You seem to be a sort of really positively focused fella, Leon, with with all this media and technology stuff as well. Well, I I think that um, I was I was reading something change um, 
I know we're going off on one today, but I think it's great because it's about media. Yeah, you do realise you're still on the question. But I was really, I love change, Jerome. I'm, I'm really fascinated because you know, my business is around changing people's lives with using technology. That's what we do, right? Um, and people don't like change. And even when we put a new program on there, that's the same program someone's used for years, these software companies move the buttons, don't they? And just moving the buttons cause people pain. And software gets shipped where it's not even finished, right? It's not complete. It doesn't always work, right? So I really enjoy studying change, but I was reading about when lights got changed. I've mentioned this before on the podcast. But when, when lights went from gas to electric, we all thought that we, would, we it was going to be the worst thing for us, that we'd never be able to sleep, it was going to interrupt us, and there was going to be chaos. But when you look back through history, like you mentioned, Jerome, it, it's, never, it's never that bad. No, and you you can lay awake on a night worrying about the next day, you get up that next day, it's never as bad as what you're worried about, is it? No, because you're breathing. Because you're breathing. You're breathing you're yes, exactly. Yeah, live for the moment. Live for the moment. Joe, I will hit him with the next question. Question two. Go round. It could be three hours long, this podcast. It's never happening. more books. Did you have any more books, Jerome? Or was, was that... We've done books. <laughs> <laughs> you don't tell us even if there was. <laughs> Two great books. We really fired off some uh, conversations today. We, start, we started with Jerome about the conversation with his first book about factfulness and how we ask the same questions to a load of different people and it sets us off. That's what we do with the Pig Wrestling Podcast. We ask the same questions and we go off on a tangent and we talk about a lot of different topics, but we start with the same um, foundation of a question. So it's brilliant. So next question, Liam. Right. So being a being a meet, you know, positive journalist must be tough on your own, Jerome. Um, on your own. On your own. <laughs> on your own. <laughs> yeah. um, so what is a feel-good um, song or a bit of music that really gets you focused and makes you happy? Right, now, this will surprise you, but, you know, most teenagers will go to their bedrooms and listen to music. They'll be obsessed with a particular band or a particular genre, that sort of thing. I never was as a teenager. I, I was just just not into music. And some of my closest friends sort of laugh at me about that. I sort of, I feel as though I've got a lot of catching up to do with music. But I've got to that stage where I think I haven't got the time to do that. You know, there's no way I can catch up on punk from the 80s or anything like that. I'm, I'm just happy that it passed me by and I never really paid much attention to it because I was really happy. One thing I have done um, over the sort of 15 years, I suppose, of photography is each time I've photographed a band or something like that, I've just bought a CD from the bands that I've listened to. So a lot, a lot of what I listen to now, because I do listen to music, I enjoy listening to music, a lot of what I listen to is bands that I've met and photographed and spent, yeah, I, I sort of cast my mind back then to the sort of happy occasions or whatever they were when, when I photographed those bands. So I've, I've got quite a collection of CDs behind me. And I will turn to those uh, to listen. I'll just pick something out at random, really. In terms of the genres that really sort of attract me more than others, I suppose it's folk and acoustic music. Um, well, I lived in Wales for um, almost 10 years before I moved to Hell. 
So I went to university in Wales, and there used to be a Wednesday night gigging, sort of jamming session uh, at the Railway Inn uh, in this little Welsh village where, where I lived. Um, and so it was, a, it was a folk jamming session, you know, turn up, bring your instruments, um, or just sit there and listen. Now, famously, on one occasion, uh, there was a really famous international star um, who'd got a property about 15 miles north from where I was living, Van Morrison. You might have heard of him. <laughs> I was told, uh, Jerome, you, you've got to be at, the, at the, the jamming session tonight because Van Morrison's joining us. Yeah, he's, he's in Wales at the moment. He's coming down. He's going to join us. Now, I've never even, gosh, I was 18, 19, 20 years old. Never heard of Van Morrison, really. Didn't know who he was. But I was a regular, I was one of the sort of 15 that went to the gigging, you know, the jamming session every Wednesday night without fail, because I just loved it. So um, the, the sort of main jamming session always started after lockdown, we had a bit of a lock-in, yes, after, you know, the doors had closed. And so by that time, everyone was a little bit three sheets to the wind, yeah, so... <laughs> Even to this day, I must admit, I don't know whether Van Morrison turned up or not. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy telling people that I was part of a jamming session with Van Morrison. A triangle or, I don't know, a couple of drumsticks beating along to the music or whatever. But I like I to think... that next to him. It really did happen. <laughs> <laughs> who's your favourite artist that you've listened to of uh, the people you've photographed? Oh, what a great question. Um, hmm. Well, it's people you probably won't have heard of. Um, Tested. CD I go back to quite a lot is uh, it's called Cuckoo Hill uh, by an artist called Charlie Dore. Uh, so Charlie Dore, uh, acoustic um, guitarist, singer-songwriter. Uh, she's performed at Hull Truck a couple of times. When Hull Truck moved into its new building, it did a sort of world music season for a year or two on Tuesday nights, I think it was. And I went along to quite a few of them. Charlie Dore was one of those. Uh, so a really lovely uh, acoustic, mellow sound. I do turn to... What's magical about acoustic music? Yeah. I, I think it's sort of just my, an acoustic guitar stripped back. Yeah, I think a, a good singer. Good singer. Yeah, you can't, you can't be a good, good yeah. singer like, like myself. Right, um, Right then, next question. What purchase of £50 or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months? Well, this really gave me, um, this really taxed me in many ways because I've not really bought much in the last six months. I've not had much income for a start. I've not been buying much. So I sort of wandered around my flat with my clipboard, uh, did a, a reverse shopping list trying to find things that I'd bought. And then I sort of sat there at the end of a little session. I sat there scratching my head thinking, well, there's nothing really I can talk about here. And then I realised I was actually sitting on the thing that I bought that turned out to be the most significant purchase, a deck chair. I live in a first floor flat in the city centre. I haven't even got a window box, let alone a balcony or a garden to sit in. But I've bought a deck chair. It's got a nice sort of tropical pattern on it. And I've put it in the window where the sun comes through during the day. And I sit in my deck chair in the evenings with a glass of wine. And I've got little things on the, uh, the windowsill next to me. So um, stones that I've picked up off a beach, uh, shells, uh, things that I've bought when I've been on holiday or little gifts that people have given me. I've got a couple of mugs that I've got my children's photographs on, that sort of thing. 
and it's my little happy space yeah sitting on my deck chair having a bit of deck chair time in the evening I love that question. Yeah. It's my question, that question. I love that question. Well, do you, you put a hanky on as well when you sat there, Jerome? Do you put, you know, I, do you not your, your handkerchief when you sat in your deck chair? That's a great idea. I might start rolling my trousers up as well. Friday, fishing chips on a Friday, deck chair. Oh, yeah. There you go. Only ice, ice. It's comfy deck chair. Right then, go on, Joe. Next one. Okay, so we're going to turn it down now, or are we? Do you have um, a lesson from a failure of yours? Mm, failures, you see. We don't like to admit to our failures, do we? So um, this, this is a really like failures a lot. Yeah, it's a really tough question, isn't it? This one, and you know, there's, there's probably an elephant in the room that I ought to address. Yeah. I was married for about 12 years, and then my marriage came to an end. So the marriage failed. Um, and I suppose, so that was years ago now, um, nine, at the end of the 90s, I think it was, something like that. No, when was I can't remember when it was, let's be honest, it's, it's such a long time ago now. That is a failure that I suppose I've learned a lot from. Yeah, really happily married, got two lovely boys out of it, um, we, I'm still in touch with my ex. Um, we drifted apart, yeah, and we drifted apart because mostly we, we, we I suppose we both admitted to failure um, with with that marriage. We drifted apart. From my perspective, I took my eye off the ball. I got myself really, really busy um, through all of my time through developing business and. Uh, developing a career as a photographer, writer, journalist, all the stuff that I'm well known for. I took my eye off the ball, really. Um, nothing is more important. Nothing is more valuable, actually, than the time you can spend with your, your friends and your family. Uh, so, yeah, that failure has taught me that. And now, yeah, I'm still busy. I still get myself into those silly ruts of busyness where I've just got too much to deal with. But I can walk back from it now. I can sort of say, right, Jerome, you get into that position again. You learn from from the silly things that you've done in the past. And yeah, I, I now judge my success. I sit at the end on my deck chair at the end of the week, looking back and I think, well, I don't think how much have I earned this week. I think how, many, how much time have I spent laughing like a drain with my friends? And that's, that's far more important. Well, let's say the new currency is happiness, don't they? And I totally believe that. I think, I think Jerome, in terms of that, you know, um, a lot of us and a lot of people listen to the show, you know, some of these business people, these all different people, you know, people starting out in careers. And I think that we all, and I think it's back to that human nature, you know, like we started off, we all want more, don't we? And we're always trying to chase that next thing. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's trying to get ourselves understanding that actually the next 24 hours are the most important, aren't they? Yeah, I think I sort of began to learn that, that, um, you know, the answer to that question many, many years ago, even before I got married. I used to work for a professor when I lived in Wales. Um, he was a, an environmental professor, um, epidemiologist. So, you know, people know what those are these days, don't they? Educate me on what, what, what I don't know what it is. Some yeah, so they look, at, they look at the spread of a disease. And, oh, um, okay, yeah. right. Um, that sort of thing. They're statisticians, really. That, that, you know. But anyway, 
Dave became a really great friend. Uh, he was extremely busy uh, flying all over the world doing his work. And when I started dating um, the person that I ult ultimately married, Dave dropped what he was doing and said, well, you know, you don't drive. Let, let me drive you out somewhere. You know, if you need to get to a date, I'll take you. I thought, you're extremely busy, but you were taking time out to help me as a little rookie at the time to, <laughs> to flourish in the relationship and life. And so, yeah, you know, sort of looking back, he, he knew at the time that nothing was more important than relationships and family and friends and the time you spend together. I think that's. Um, I think you've given a really good message there, Jerome, and I'm sure that people listening will will take notice of that because it is hard, isn't it? And it's difficult. And sometimes the balance of, you know, like as you said, Leon, we always want more, and we're going out there trying to better ourselves, trying to to improve, whether that be in our work life and in our social lives. And sometimes the really important things that are sat in front of us, we we forget about. And I think, you know, I've I've gone through some similar learning lessons in my life um, and I've gone through a relationship breakup um, with my first husband and I've really tried to ensure in my second relationship that I have always tried to make time for the two of us because I too felt like I failed at something just as you've shared your story and I never want to do that again. Um, so I think if you can give anything, it is really to listen to these stories and to value your relationships and the people that you love and to go out there and um, spend time with them. Because at the end of the day, we've, I think through COVID, we've all learned that having nice houses, having money, it actually means nothing. It's just about that really getting down to what it is that makes us happy. And for most people, I think they would say it's our family and our loved ones. So thank you so much for sharing that story. Awesome. Um, I'm going to listen to the next one. Go on then, because he's going to be good. One. So, what is a favourite quote or saying that you can share with everyone in the world? What is it, Jerome, and why? <laughs> no, um, right, okay. Uh, my dad, my dad was sort of famous for coming up with little quotes. Yeah, that he probably nicked from other places. Let's, let's be honest. Yeah. Uh, so, I've got a couple of quotes from my dad that. They've become memes in my mind, really. Uh, I've said them so many times to myself and to my sons over the years. That they've sort of become legendary, really, within our family. And uh, one of his favourites was, try anything once. Yeah, well, that's, that's great advice. You don't know you're going to like something or loathe something until you've tried it. So. Try anything once. See, I mean, he was sort of saying, take a few risks, yeah? Try anything once, you know, because that's the way you're going to learn, yeah? So that, yeah, absolute, you know, beautiful quote from my dad. And then this is another quote from my dad that he attributes to Postman Pat. <laughs> and this, this is, it's not wrong. It's not wrong. We just don't do it. Oh, no, what great advice that is, yeah? There's, you know, it's not wrong. We just don't do it. Yeah. It's not wrong, but just don't do it. Yeah, we just don't do it. So there's just lots of things you come across, legal things or whatever, you know, there's great big rules and regulations in life and you sort of follow them. And But there are some things that they're not wrong. You know, you're not going to go to prison for it, but we just don't do that. <laughs> I love that. We're big fans of quotes, aren't we? We're big fans. That's some, some, some awesome quotes. And you know where he says his dad pinches quotes? I've got books full of quotes that guests have said and I've just pinched them and I, I pretend that it's me. 
I've just made it up. Well, I am. Yeah, I hope that one. So, right, next question. <laughs> In the last five years, what new... What? You, 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 you. <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> what new or belief has had the most profound effect on your life? I need, I need just, just that. I pressed the wrong button and it was his question. So, sorry, Paul. You, you, you're going back. <laughs> you're, back in, you're back in the room. Sorry, Jerome. I did. I've, I've asked him. He's, he's back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, right. um, I actually went off to university in 1986 to uh, do a degree in theology. Yeah, because I was actually pursuing ordination in the Church of England. I decided I wanted to be a priest in the new in in, in uh, the Church of England, and that, that sort of faith has been really important to me uh, for many many years until perhaps the last few when uh, so i've been to uh, i ended up as a, a sort of church leader for a while and then i ended up as uh, the lead of a training program uh, within a church you know national lead for it so the church had been a big part of my life over the years to the united reformed church rather than the church of england uh, ultimately but something that has really changed in the last few years is my faith I no longer go to church. Um, I was chatting to a friend last week, and he was asking about my Christian faith, and I said, well, I would probably no longer really be able to describe myself as a Christian. So my beliefs have really, really changed um, in the last three or four years, maybe. And actually, I've found myself feeling free. Um, I still have a faith, I think you know, I've got faith that there's there's something continues after we die. I've got faith that there is some spiritual element to existence, to the universe or whatever. But I, I can't find a, 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 an expression of that that I'm really, really comfortable with. I'm actually feeling now much more free in my faith. Um, much more broader than just Christianity, actually. Um, I can look at other religions and none and understand quite comfortably why people believe what they believe. So, yeah, f real freedom of belief. I, I, love, I love that, Jerome. And, and so I was out on a walk this morning and um, we've been training, haven't we, doing a few bits. And as I'm walking, there's this beautiful sunset I just had a moment where I was missing my dad this morning, right? So I put a song on, and, and I just had a feeling that it was with me, you know, certain things. And it's a bit like you just mentioned then, is um, I thought to myself, like, I don't know about faith. There's too many, you know, I think Ricky Gervais says it best. There's 500 gods, and just because I don't believe in one, um, I'm, I'm the one who's wrong. And But the other side of it, though, I think there's a power or an energy around us that we can't always describe. So we're quite happy with this electricity that goes to a light bulb, right? We can't see that electricity going there. So I think we need like a bit of faith that there is something bigger than all of us. And I, I, I'm, I'm on your bus, Jerome. Um, there's, there's definitely something bigger um, than all of us. Um, but us as humans like to be able to put labels on things, don't we, and put things in boxes. Yeah. Um, I think quantum physics is sorting that out. It's, um, you know, it's these things, these things that we can't describe and can't do. So we've got to have faith, haven't we? Can I have faith? 
I don't think life is a series. I believe in what you say. I I totally agree with that. I think there's something bigger out there, and I'm I'm hoping there's life after death because I don't plan on finishing. It's funny, fair enough. You need, you need to finish the second half stronger. I'm finishing the second half stronger. Well, I'm just telling yeah. you, like you said to me on that pitch. Yeah. Good. Need the second half stronger than you said the first. Exactly. And she's coming off. What's your thoughts on that, Joe? Um, I've got lots of thoughts going through my mind. I was um, raised as a Catholic. Um, and um, I, I was, um, it was actually when I married my first husband, I was only 21 when I got married, that I kind of really fell, in, fell out of love with the faith. Um, I think for me it was always a bit of a thing. I never really got into it in a big way, but I, you know, growing up, I was forced to go to to church and things, and um, I was kind of being forced at that time to make promises that I didn't want to make about raising my children as Catholics, etc., etc. Um, so I don't really profess to, to have a faith nowadays, and you know, I, I just inch to the run, and um, if, if faith is good for you then that's absolutely fine I think what I really think about things sometimes of people of faith is that they're not always very kind to one another um you know there's a lot of things that that happen um and I really question about that you know um I'd rather just be a kind person that that kind of is out there and willing to support um one of them no matter what the faith is rather than um this is the sort of new consciousness of the world, isn't it? You know, if you look at the work that Jerome does, he, he's got a, a website that shares loads of information for learning about different social groups, the work we all do. And I think our sort of, our whole sort of consciousness is raising it in terms of, it's no longer, like, like I think what you're saying there, Joe, and let me sort of paraphrase that, because I'm we on that, and I'm sure we'll all agree, Um there is too much war around religion at times, didn't they? Um, but I do think there's a big shift in consciousness where we're not accepting that anymore in terms of, you know, we don't care what creed we are. And and this is back to, I'm going to pin this back on, on, on Jerome's view on this, on um, journalism. You know, when we have people of different genders, different, you know, beliefs, you know, down to, me and Paul was having this conversation yesterday, weren't we? That you're seriously thinking about um, associating yourself with a penguin, aren't you? Right, <laughs> you were saying you like the penguin. Yeah, yeah. We're big, we're, black, we're black and white, aren't we? Right. But let's just say you 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 do what you said yesterday, and you know Paul, who, Paul the penguin, Paul the penguin, right? Yeah, and that's cool. That's nice cool, right? And nobody would judge that. But oh, but Are you sure, no one. Um, but the, but the point I'm trying to make here, and, and using that as a context, is um, a lot of minorities are quite happy being a minority. Right, they don't need labelling. So when we say, "Oh, you know," when we see this left v right fight um, in in politics, you know, in the news stories, um, we're backing that minority. But after time, it doesn't back the minority. It just shines a big light on it when they're quite happy just being themselves. Um, what's your thoughts on that, Jerome? Um, I think I think people need to have their voice heard. Um, so whether a group should be promoted more than another group, I don't think so. But I think every, I think there should be that sort of equality uh, of opportunity. I think every group should have the same access uh, to have their voice heard and therefore to influence influence policy. Uh, I do think the press probably get hung up on um, particular groups at particular times. 
for their own agenda, really, to sell newspapers, to fill airtime or whatever. I mean, Joe, you said, you know, it's about kindness for you, just being kind to people. Um, yes, we need to be kind to people, but we do also need to understand that at some points, some groups are in more need uh, of our help, of our care, of our kindness mm -hmm. than other groups. Yeah. yeah. I think something that um, was brought to light as well for, so during COVID, I think that's, um, I was talking to somebody who is quite religious um, and what seems to have happened is because they've had to, because people are allowed to go to the, the churches or the mosques or wherever it is that they're, they're you know, their worship is carried out um, because a lot of it's come online that people have been exploring different faiths, which has been really positive. Um, so because they're not having to go to anywhere in particular, they've been able to go onto different um, meets and see how different um, religions carry out their ceremonies or whatever it is that I can't think of the right, the, the correct terminology. But um, so that's been really good as well. I think so COVID has brought um, a different opening to people that perhaps want to have some kind of faith in a particular religion. So I think that's been the real positive of, um, of COVID as well, really. I think, yeah, you know, actually, you grew up a Catholic, you say, uh, so the Catholic Church and the High Church, um, Anglican Church as well. Uh, they have really beautiful services in beautiful settings, beautiful music, uh, beautiful garments or whatever. You know, the whole theatre of a religious faith can be a really you know, engaging, rewarding thing to be part of. But this idea now of keeping a particular building open for six or seven people to worship in on a Sunday or whenever their particular faith meets in their particular building. I'm not sure that is is really the way to go with expression of faith. This idea that we can get on a Zoom meeting with people all around the globe and just join with like-minded people at any particular time, that, that's a wonderful opportunity. We don't need to come together to do something religiously at the same time every week. You can you can be together with like-minded people around the globe you know, through the technology we have, and that 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 should change the expression of what faith and what church is. But I think the also on the other side is, um, I mean, certainly me and I know you, Paul, um, and and Jerome and and, and Jonas, um, we're now starting to you know come out the other side of COVID at the moment and the restrictions are getting raised, but then quite quickly they might be getting put back and we're in that sort of seesaw at the moment. And what I've really realised is um, how much I love people. I just, I know how much I need to be around people, you know? Like, is that why you've changed me to a penguin? Well, well, well that's it. Yeah, yeah well, there's, there's, there's a limit though, you know? Um, I think you make a fantastic penguin. <laughs> but it's back now, you know, we're trying to get back out and record the podcast in people we're waiting for Joe to get into the office. We're, gonna, we're trying to put measures in place so we can do it all securely. But even me jumping in the car to get here today, I look forward to it because I can, you know, I can't ask COVID to kill us. I didn't do it, did I? But you see, we can have, we, we, we lose that human interaction. Yeah. So I'm all for technology. I love technology. Um, but I do think we need to gather in big groups, you know, now and again. Um, but we're not, not just yet. Do you want to go to the next question, Joe? I certainly do. And I think we've talked about it quite a lot. It's been a bit of a theme, really, about kind of giving people advice and people changing. But knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to yourself at 18? 
And what advice do you think you should have ignored? <laughs> uh, I think all 18-year-olds um, should be encouraged to follow their own instincts a little bit more. Uh, so when you, when you get into sort of secondary school education and onwards, you're on a conveyor belt towards university or a conveyor belt towards this, that and the other. It's nice just to jump off that conveyor belt, isn't it? And just follow your own instincts. If you find a, if a little spark of something that really sort of lights your interest on something in particular, go for it. Don't worry about academia necessarily. You know, just, just follow your passion, follow your instincts. Because, you know, your school might be pushing you to do one thing for their agenda, not necessarily your own. So just just take risks and follow your own instincts. I wish I'd done that, certainly. I ended up going to university to do a degree in theology, and it just wasn't for me. So I left um, after two years, didn't complete the degree, ended up working for the university as a media technician, and the rest is history. I was always more interested in photography than I was <laughs> the other things. So, yeah, I wish I'd followed my instincts more rather than following somebody else's vision for me. Get your own vision and, and run with that. The advice to ignore is other people's advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered if that was coming next. <laughs> That's great. So I'm going to go on, Leon. So my favourite, this one. We all at times feel burnt out, unfocused, unenergized, often overwhelmed. Um, what do you do? And if helpful, Jerome, um, what sort of questions do you ask yourself? I, I've sort of split this answer in, in my mind into two things, really, um, because sometimes we get bogged down just on an afternoon or a sort of daily basis. You, know, you get a day that it's a bit rotten, so you want to relax a bit. Um, so on that sort of circumstance, I... I love clouds. I would sit and stare out of a window watching the clouds go by. Yeah. Sort of takes me back to some childhood um, experiences with my dad. Um, even at night when we couldn't watch clouds, uh, we'd, we'd lie on the living room floor looking at the Artex ceiling, trying to point out little sort of faces in the Artex or whatever. Just sort of lie there and stare up at the clouds and take your mind off what's happened that day. And so I suppose if you've gone through a much longer period where life is getting you down, I'd say, well, sort of do that in an, you know, the same response as an extended response. Just walk away. Take time out. Book yourself a holiday. Walk away for the weekend. Yeah. And if I do that, I then probably have a notebook with me and I'm scribbling down lots of notes, little thoughts that are coming into my mind. And two things, really, um, I, I then think about Am I going to walk back to it and make a better job of it, this thing that I've walked away from? Or am I just going to keep walking and not go back to it? Because actually sometimes it's okay just to say, right, that was not working. It's the wrong thing for me. It's the wrong thing I've been doing. Leave it. Just walk away from it. And you know, follow that instinct. I love that. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm a massive fan of clouds as well, I will add, Jerome. So much so um, of reading the company Think Cloud, because I think the clouds are just magical. Absolutely magical. It's not a lie. Leon, do you have different departments named after different clouds? Yeah, just, I just love I just love it. Yeah, Nimbus. Um, 
No, but I absolutely just like, like you mentioned. One of my favourite things to do when we're, when we're away at the, with a caravan is um, just sitting on the beach and either watching waves come and go. Um, or I just love clouds. I just think they're magical. And I remember when I climbed a little hill like he says. Um, yeah, the full clouds go, on top of the Going up and being above the clouds, it was just magical. There's just something in awe around clouds. And um, don't try and touch one, because you can't touch one. I was chasing for it. That's the only thing that got me up there, to chase clouds. But it just, I, I, you know, I, think, I think it's just so magical and peaceful. Um, we've all got to think cloud, haven't we? right next question i love this one right then jerome who in the world would you like to interview past or present and why right i get to uh to photograph a lot of quite interesting people Uh, my career has been photographing interesting people doing interesting things and I get spoiled rotten, to be honest. Um, photographing festivals, particularly the literature festivals that I've done, I get to meet some really quite you know, well-known people, remarkable people. Uh, so there's quite a few there where I think to myself, well, I'm photographing this person and then watching them walk on stage and be interviewed by somebody else. I think, oh, I'd love a go at interviewing them myself, you know. So, I mean, yeah, you, you, you probably know some of my photography and some of the people that have been in the city over the last sort of five years. I have got to meet and have sort of portrait shoots with some of these people. But I'm actually going to choose somebody completely different, somebody closer to home. And it's actually family, isn't it? I, there's, there's members of my family that are no longer with us that, A, certainly I wish I'd photographed, B, I wish I'd spent time with them and asked them questions. There's one in particular. Um, my dad um, spent a lot of time with an aunt and an uncle, Charlie and Nellie. And I remember them well from when I was just a little kid, tiny little kid. Some of my first memories really were going to their house and watering the cactuses in the greenhouse at the back and all these sort of things. They were absolutely fascinating characters. And it's people like that I wish I could go back and and interview not because the results would change the world but they might change my world yeah i might have a better understanding of who i am and where i've come from and what matters and what doesn't so yeah i'd say my uh, my dad's aunt and uncle um, charlie and nelly it would be a, a a panel discussion sitting in their back room charlie sitting in his chair that i don't think i ever saw him get out of and, and so sort of Nelly wandering around, chasing the cat, um, watering the plants, giving us apples, and taking us up the garden to talk about the herbs and that sort of thing. I, I would love an hour, an afternoon with those two now uh, to do a full-on docu- documentary, fly on the wall sort of documentary with them would be eight. Really nice. I like that. I feel we've got a real big theme, haven't we, um, on the podcast today? Because we're, we're, we're at an hour. We did an hour. Over, you know, we starting a little bit. Oh, yeah, so, so we an hour, so it, but I think we've had a really. It's been a, it's been an absolute pleasure. We yeah. we not finished yet. Joe's got a couple more questions, but um, we've had a real sort of family vibe today. I yeah, know. I think yeah. Uh, uh, Joe, would you say the same? 
Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's it's been quite moving actually today. I think it's been yeah, it's it's moved me. It's maybe because it's made me think about some of the things and some of the experiences, Jerome, that that you've talked about. Of um, you know, I, I've kind of shared some of the experiences, but in different ways. And yeah, so it's been it's very been very powerful actually. Yeah, very emotive. Very emotive. I love that. So, Joe, it's over to you. Okay, so I'm. The first one is, is there anything we should have has, asked but didn't? I thought I would get that typical job interview question, you know, because we, we've talked about who we are now and where where we've been through to get to where we are now. I, I thought you might have been asking me, where are you going to be in five years' time or ten years' time? Tell us. Which the answer <laughs> to is... Lordy's the most important thing. that? But I think my answer, if, if you'd put that question to me, my answer would be, I don't want to be doing what I'm doing now. Not because I don't enjoy doing what I do now. I We've enjoyed this podcast. Yeah, but I love change. I, like Leon, at the beginning of the podcast, you say you quite like change and all of the challenges and tackling those challenges mainly, I suppose. That's what it is for me. I love a challenge. I don't want to be doing uh, what I'm doing now or what I've been doing in the last year or two. In 10 years' time, I might be doing something completely different. might be a zookeeper. I don't know anything. But, yeah, open your mind up to possibilities. Yeah, You don't have a career for life these days, do you? Sometimes you feel a bit reluctant to let some things go. Nah, come on. What, what's the last six months taught us? You can't plan you can't plan your year. You, you certainly can't plan a career. Just be be mindful that there are opportunities opportunities out there and take a few. So I don't want to be doing, you know, I don't want to be sitting on this podcast with you in five years' time, sort of addressing the things, you know, reflecting backwards. I want to be, I want new challenges. I want to get out there and do some new things. Have you wrote it down? If he wants to be a zookeeper for five years, we well, expect that. Yeah. <laughs> we need to come down. We could do with a zoo, you know. Who we could do with a zookeeper to look after the penguin. Exactly. We used to have a zoo in Hull. It'd be great to get another zoo, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it would. Absolutely. Let's start. <laughs> Well, Jerome. from the show, Jerome? Is there anything that you'll take away from from this show and where it's taught? Well, it's it's lovely to meet. I've never spoken to any of you before. Um, I've known, you know, I've seen you online and the like, and it's always great to to meet new people. So, you know, that that I don't want to be doing the same thing in five years' time. I want new experiences. I want to be doing more of what I've done today, meeting new people, chatting actually quite intimately quite openly in some ways. It's, it's not difficult. It's not that frightening, is it? Um, well, going back to that factfulness book right at the beginning of the podcast, the world isn't as frightening as we might first feel. And so, yeah, I think I'll take that away. It's lovely to spend some time with people that you've never spoken with before, even chatting quite openly and intimately as we have. Straight out your back at you as well, Joe. Awesome show. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks. And just before you leave, Jerome, I've got one plea. 
And we ask every guest this. Well, it's not really an ask. You've got to do it. You don't really have a choice. We'll send the penguin round. <laughs> yeah, we'll send the penguin round. <laughs> it's a bit like a Rottweiler when it gets going. I don't know about a penguin. <laughs> so it's about going on www.talksuicide.co.uk and to take the training. We say training. It's a video that you watch. It's very easy. Um, 20 to 30 minutes of your time to help um, spot the signs of suicide, to be able to speak about suicide, which is the most important thing, and to signpost people on. But not only that, to pass it on to people within, you've got lots of people that you reach out to if you can manage to get that in any of your writing um, and across any of your networks. That would be absolutely awesome. I promise that I will do that, and I will share a tweet um, in the next day or two when I've done it. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. And, um, I just think it's been awesome to meet you. Um, but you know, put a, a man behind the, um, the the pen. You know, um, it's been amazing. Um, cause I, I read a lot of your stuff. It's fantastic, and I've seen a lot of stuff you do for the city. Um, we're massive friends of anyone who promotes our great city of all. Um, and we keep doing the great job you're doing there, Jerome. Um, so that's Leon checking out. Paul checking out. Checking out. Thanks yeah. for coming on, Jerome. It's been really, really good. Joe checking out. And that's Jerome checking out too. Thanks for your time.